Welcome one, welcome all to the Digital Dudes, our apartment marketing podcast. Uh, I'm Reed. I'm David. And this podcast is a way for us to tackle tough topics in the apartment marketing industry. Um, what this podcast is not is a digital infomercial uh, or a shameless product push. Uh, it's a platform for us to share our experiences and provide a resource that will hopefully uh, help move the industry forward. I think now we realize we are changing the conversation. We hear that all the time from clients that we work with, uh, even people on the outside. And so I think timing's really good right now uh, for for us and ultimately for this podcast. Why not kick something like this off and, and share it with more people, even if that's just three or four that, that start listening to us? But yeah, I also want to have fun, uh, have the, I guess, appropriate humility because we are short timers and there's a lot that we still don't know. But I think it's fun to question, you know, kind of the status quo, which is important right now for multifamily, property management, apartment marketing and the like. I will also say I agree um, with the idea of maybe not changing the conversation, but more of like having the conversation and ha openly having the conversation because all of the marketers and operators that we've touched base with in the industry the last five years that we've kind of been circling it, a lot of times they'll be having sort of closed door conversations that everyone's having, but they, they kind of refuse to have it in the open. And so I look forward to sort of this project is helping bring those conversations more into the open or more into the mainstream or however you want to say it. But let's just, you know, let's all agree. We don't, maybe nobody knows the answer to X, Y, and Z, but let's talk about it together instead of having to like pretend like it's going to be a subject just nobody talks about, but we all are confused on. All right. Well, um, you know, the idea is, uh, as I said, to, to get after some topics that, uh, you know, have some friction, um, you know, that, that makes the most sense to me because you're going to have people in, you know, different camps and uh, occasionally you'll find Switzerland, but um, you and I are going to be probably more opinionated on, on this stuff. Um, and we thought it made sense since we just had the Digital Summit to go ahead and kick, kick off with kind of where we left that workshop. I'll turn it over to you in a second, but um, for those that weren't able to make the summit, um, Dave and I both have sat through plenty of conferences, as I'm sure many people have in, in the workforce, um, and found ourselves wondering, you know, uh, was this worth it? What exactly are they trying to get across? And, you know, the cliche is, are, are the things that we're sitting here hearing actually actionable? And so that was kind of the impetus for us, uh, even though we're a young company to go ahead and have the courage, I guess, to put something together and try and get some thought leaders in the door and um, and also make it interactive and, of course, actionable. Um, so we did that. We got some really good speakers, uh, you know, covering all sorts of different spectrums uh, within the industry. And, um, you know, the, the one, and maybe we should have done more, uh, time, I think, where people were really engaged was was when you led them through that, that budgeting workshop. So uh, as we look here at the, what is it, AMD? Um, uh, yeah, the AMD yeah, AMD magazine. So it's it's August, and this is uh, in many cases the beginning uh, for a lot of property management companies as they're as they're sharpening the pencil that's the cover of the magazine and getting ready for budget season. Um, how do they approach it? Um, you know, what's the context uh, kind of for this industry? I always think in terms of past, present, future. Uh, what's the process? Um, has that vary, um, you know, for, from an owned and operated company to a third party management company, um, the data points that they use, how they prioritize, um, you know, how things evolve. And so uh, something I'm passionate about because I've, I've been in those war rooms, frankly, for the last 10 years, uh, developing budgets, scrutinizing budgets, um, 
version 82, you know, before uh, it seems like they finally get approved. So uh, it, it just has a natural, I'm naturally curious about it. What I did see in that article that I thought was somewhat poignant is just uh, the, the time period that it takes. And so all in for the average property management company, you're looking at about 15 uh, and a half weeks. And that equates to 77 business days. Uh, before they actually can bless a budget. And that's for one property. So we just came from from an opportunity, I'll say, uh, pretty good for- portfolio, over 200 properties. So what does that translate to? Because you can't basically uh, do all the properties at once. So I, I don't know if that means that all year they're budgeting. But uh, yeah, this is just a lead in to say that that's the topic we're going to cover. We think it's going to probably get us uh, somewhere between four and six episodes because it's not something that we're going to be able to cover in, in just one shot. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the brief intro. Uh, do you want to just talk a little bit more about that workshop and then we can point the questions to ourselves as far as, uh, you know, what kind of ingredients, what kind of prioritization, et cetera, process would we take if we were doing the same thing? Yeah. Um, at the summit, I actually was most excited about the workshop. I liked the speakers, but just I wanted to see what people would do in a room together. Because as I mentioned, everybody kind of handles budgeting in a closed room and when marketers typically, if they, if I get close with them and they sort of like confide in me, they'll be like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I was really curious to see when we forced them to get into groups of six or so to see what ingredients did they pick and what was their process. Um, it's just really interesting to see some really seasoned folks that didn't quite have that all figured out yet. And were really nervous. So it sort it sort of reminded me of like, um, like band camp or something where it's like, oh, now you got to go audition. And they're like, what? I got to do this in front of everybody? Yeah, why don't you uh, set the stage, I guess, like give the setup, um, you know, so people can better picture, I guess, what took place uh, from from the start, you know, and having, what, probably 30 to 40 people, some operators, some marketers, um, some, you know, that they're managing the properties. But that that was really who was in attendance. And then, uh, yeah, how, how did we set up? Uh, a couple of those exercises, I think would be good to hear. Yeah. So as Reed mentioned, folks from all walks and of all experience levels, we had some folks, it's their first job and they're, you know, nine months in and we had some folks have been doing it for 30 years or longer. Um, and so the way that we set up the, we set up three different workshops and the way that we did it was first off, um, tell us what our, uh, when budgeting season comes around, which is what we're in now for apartments what are the key ingredients you need? So in a perfect world, what, what, if this was a family recipe, what would be the ingredients that you need to make, you know, your recipe, right? Then after we do that, most groups had anywhere from five to, to 20 ingredients just all over the board. Um, so next exercise is like, cool. Well, you know, the store is out of some of these ingredients. So what are, what's the minimum number of ingredients and what are they? So can you limit that list of 20 down to three, for example? Um, but we just le- left it open-ended and see how, how far they could narrow, narrow it down. Um, and it got better, but it was still interesting because people may say stuff like trends or seasonality, but it was pretty open-ended, but people for the most part didn't include things like cost per lead or, um, churn of the property or, exposure, current occupancy, target occupancy, some, some of the things that I would feel would be necessary to come up with it. So it's just interesting to see how their heads worked. And then the final workshop, the third one, um, was, okay, now we've got a sample scenario and we went game of Thrones on this. And we said, um, hope I get this right. I think we said Winterfell. I like game of Thrones, but we had some mix ups on what we were doing. Winterfell. Winterfell. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, hey, Winterfell uh, needs to fill their apartments. Um, here is a market trends over 12 months period. Here's your uh, current occupancy. Here's your forecasted exposure. And, um, you know, you have 24 sticky notes to spend. So how would you split these sticky notes up by month? And some folks were an even split. Some folks would vary by month. Some would front load the year. Some, you know, front load the back half of the year. Um, but it's super interesting to see them go through that exercise, particularly as a, as a group. And it's funny because I heard some groups actually, it got quite heated about like how the strategy should work. Uh, of course, because we're mixing management companies and even like reporting structures when we broke them up. Yeah, I definitely spotted a couple sacred cows um, as far as the, the data points of the ingredients that uh, folks wouldn't move off of. So you're right, it did get a little heated. Um, so I know that uh, some of the biggest feedback we got from the summit was, hey, how would you guys approach this? Um, how would Digible have approached this exercise? So we will do that and we'll do that in, the, in, a, in a video form. But to Reed's point earlier, like, our, uh, our objective in this first episode is like budgeting is a hot topic. So let's quickly cover like, ha uh, you know, our experience with budgeting in this industry, um, kind of as we see it today, and then maybe how it may be done differently in the future. And then cover off on some of those, like what we see as our top ingredients that someone would have. And then that'll probably be enough for this first episode. And then in future episodes, we'll cover specifics. Like, you know, what do we mean by seasonality? Or what do we mean by um, target or, uh, what other operational considerations there would be. And then as Reed mentioned, um, I mean, he's got a list of like 25 ingredients, but some of those we are definitely going to disagree on, I'm sure. Yeah. It's funny to say how we define seasonality because, uh, it seems pretty self-explanatory to me, but what we've learned, I think in talking, uh, to different stakeholders on, in the budgeting and this industry that is that uh, not everyone is defining even something like seasonality the same. And so we'll try to kind of flesh that out. So uh, we're clear about, you know, our meeting, our interpretations of things. Um, what I also said and what we're going to try and kind of keep as a theme is, is that past, present, future. So, you know, we are uh, only a couple and a half or I am, as I said, a couple and a half, uh, two and a half years into this. Um, so not to keep pointing things back to you, but uh, maybe you're better suited since uh, you started a couple of years ahead of me uh, talking through just briefly uh, how things have been approached. Um, and this is really from your perspective, uh, that qualifier being that this is less from like what it's like to be in their war room, um, although we're starting to hear more of those stories and, and we can share a few of them here. But you've been more on the vendor side. Um, they've been asking you often like, OK, David, what's it going to take you know, to build this um, you know, plan and, and, uh, and then where am I going to spend it? So that that's obviously one of the bigger questions that we're trying to answer. Yeah. So do tell. Yeah. So, um, five years ago or so is I think when I was first pulled into budgeting for apartments and my experience then is not too unlike now about how it happens is you'll get a frantic, I'll get a frantic email or a phone call from a client says, Hey, I need to come up with a, with a marketing budget. And it's like, sweet. Um, you know, what's the goal? They're like, well, just tell me how much to spend. So unlike traditional like uh, planning that you and I have had gone through prior in our career where it's like, well, I need X amount of leads or I need to sell X amount. It When I first experienced budgeting in this industry, it was not like that. It was just like, hey, I have a property in Houston. How much do I spend? And there was no consideration about property profile, like number of units or whatnot. They just said, how much do I spend? It's like, okay, well, what channels? Um, search. Well, what else are you doing? 
don't worry about that. Just tell me how much to spend on search. That's a tall order. So now I got to think of a random property in Houston. I barely know the apartment industry, like what the cycle feels like, how things lease up or don't lease up and like what, what the, what churn is like and all those figures that, that we're now, that we now have experience with. How much uh, of that did you share with the uh, person the other month? Oh, I was pretty, <laughs> I was pretty open. I was like, well, what are the goals? And yeah. Oh, sure. Like they, uh, you know, don't, well, yeah. Uh, they come to you very open-ended, like tell me this budget on this property and I need it by like this afternoon. And it's like, Oh crap. Uh, quickly let me pull some like Google trends or some AdWords data and then like, you know, stick my finger in the air and hope like for the best. Cause at that point in time, I frankly didn't even know what a good budget was or what an average property spent on marketing. So, you know, you and I had done a lot with different SMBs and you could have a, a plumber spending a hundred thousand dollars a month. Well, this is a big apartment, right? This building may be a hundred million dollar development. Of course they're going to spend lots of money, right? No, like you send a budget and they're like, are you insane? $20,000 or whatever it is. It's like, uh, you know, try working with four grand or three grand or whatever. Yeah, I have to say, which is interesting. I, uh, just interject quickly. I too was surprised when you shared that with me. I was like, okay, um, you're building up, you know, a good portfolio here, uh, lots of business to be had. And then you, you know, kind of uh, threw the wet blanket on. It's like, Reed, we're talking about $2,000 a month for most yeah. of these budgets. But what I've come to mostly, I say, grips with, um, and we'll get into this more too, is is how influential is marketing when it comes to the outcomes of, of these properties? Uh, because uh, that has been the norm for them, and they have leased up, um, and they have stabilized. And so while initially it just seemed ridiculous um, that they would have such constrained budgets, um, you, you have to respect the fact that, that the data on some level has proved that they're right. So... Uh, yeah, I just think it's fair to bring up because now I am worrying around more of those and I'm less in that kind of, you know, shock factor. Uh, how are you guys ever going to accomplish this? Um, but what what I'm more curious and we'll again get to is like, what's the difference between, you know, $4,000 budget and $8,000 budget as far as that, you know, leasing velocity, how quick they can get to those targets. So well, I had to drop that in. Totally agree with you on that, of course. And I think a lot of it's different too, right? Because it's like if you're doing budgets for service industries, or even automotive, it's like, well, there's a heck of, you know, you can drive far away to go get a car. Like I did when I bought my Jeep, I drove up to Fort Collins. It's like, I'll drive an hour and a half or whatever to get the right deal. Um, and then if it's a plumber or something, it's like, who cares? <laughs> like you're located in the state and you'll come to me. Sweet. C come on over. Um, but it's different with apartments cause it's all about location, location, location. Right. Um, so then back to how that went that first, that first year, it's like, sweet, finally get a budget, you know, basically with some guidance, like, Hey, you got like at least, you know, up to two grand to spend. What do you think? Um, and get that to them. Well, you know, shortly thereafter, it's like, well, here's 200 properties I need a quote on. And it's like, do this by market again. Don't know unit counts. Don't know price per square foot, any of that stuff. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we'll build some sort of, you know, model off of the market, um, to say how much should you be spending in that market versus a different market. So went through that exercise, um, come around to year two on that, and that exercise gets more sophisticated. It's like sweet, feeling good. Um, you know, August is rolling around, time to do budgets for, you know, 400 properties um, as requested. And someone asks like, hey, again, I need this turned around like a week. It's like, this is a Herculean effort. I hope you know, but we'll, because we're not, at that point, I wasn't like picking numbers out of thin air. It's like, let me go pull the data. So year two, pull the data, and what budgets come back don't necessarily make sense. So, um, 
well, I'll, I will name names on this one, but it was uh, Andrew Halverson who asked me to do this giant quote uh, from Graystar. And I did this quote. It took me, it must have taken me 30, 35 hours to get these like 200 um, properties quoted for him uh, this in year two. And uh, uh, Houston came back with a lower budget than um, Boise. Yeah, I'll use Boise. I knew specifically it was Houston that was in question. This is, uh, yeah, Boise. Uh, I always use Boise, but yeah, it was something like Oklahoma City or something. But some might as well be Boise. I was born in Oklahoma, so that's fair. But uh, might as well be Boise. And he was like, "This does not make sense. Why would a major metro have a lower budget than this, like you know, rinky-dink town?" Um, and it was like, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's just. It's just the math. That's the, that meaning like those are, that's the data that I pulled and trust, trust the process didn't go over so well in year two. Um, but we, we got through it. it I came to learn it. It almost didn't matter so much what I recommended, like meaning like if, if client has in their head, I want to spend a thousand dollars. I'll use a weird number, just a thousand dollars. And you come back with $4,000. Guess what? They're going to give you a thousand dollars. They don't care. But if, if client wants to spend a thousand dollars and you come back with a recommendation of like 1250, it's like, all right, you were close. We'll go with 1250. So it's, you got to have to kind of be somewhere in the ballpark for them to then like start trusting you eventually, like as you have more data and you can build more of a story that changes. So more of how, how it happens today. So that's kind of like the past. Yeah. I'm going to quickly translate what that meant for me. Like as far as the history, um, I don't know what my targets are. You're not going to get my lead data. I'm not comfortable necessarily with sharing Google Analytics. I don't know really the markets very well. Um, and, you know, we were up 2% or something if you even get that data over last year. Um, and I'm not sure what my comps are doing. I don't know what the new construction looks like, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Point being is it is basically um, – you know, sticking up your finger, licking it and saying, I hope this sounds right, you know, and uh, clearly a big, big effing problem, you know, yeah. uh, and that was just on our side. I can only imagine what it sounded like, you know, behind closed doors, like with them, but just putting you in an impossible spot is the totally to not look stupid in a right. way, like egg on your face. You have no right. needs analysis. Forget about it. And particularly when someone's doing a portfolio, they don't, um, they don't have time to gather that info because they, even the best of them out there, they don't have a great database to pull all this from. So, uh, and I think another important point and I'll, uh, well, that came up at the summit. Uh, we got some question submissions where people were like, well, how much, uh, how much do people spend on marketing as overall revenue, overall percentage of revenue? And what we've seen is that tends to be somewhere between two and 5% of overall or overall expenditures is marketing. So not a large line item, right? And so, of course, during the budgeting process, people are not super concerned or it's almost like, you know, the thing that's kicked to the curb and done last. And so like how much, you know, just how much compliance are you going to get with providing this data when it's like, well, this is going to impact my budget by 2%. If, if they fall at 2%, it's like even if you were to like double budget or double their marketing spend and it goes to 4% of overall budget, it's like it's a, it's a small line item. So they just don't want to put as much effort into it. They more of just have to get it across the finish line, hence why people have been able to be like, oh, my vendor said this, let's do it, or hey, apartments.com, you and I always say that, um, and you, you were flying this flag for a while, but nobody ever got fired for buying apartments.com right so of course like we'll go ahead and buy that yeah effectively marketing's the the place kicker uh within the industry meaning they're either going to be the goat or they're going to be the hero 
because all this effort time gets spent on 99% of where the revenue is. But then when the property starts failing and it's more that they play the goat, less the hero, it's like, what the hell's going on? Like, what's wrong with our marketing? Why aren't we getting more leads and all this stuff? And it's like, well, maybe you thought, should have put a little more attention on that up front and you wouldn't be having as many of those conversations. Because I feel like you said kick to the curb, redheaded stepchild, yeah. whatever you want to put. But I, I you know. Totally. Start, yeah. I totally agree. But I have to pause on goat. Is that a reference to like the Jurassic Park goat getting gobbled up or what is? It could be. It will be for this <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> you know, uh, obviously I'm a movie buff. So, yeah, let's go. Let's go with that. I just you were talking heard, about the T-Rex. Hadn't heard the, you haven't term. Heard the goat. Yeah. No, I mean, except for like greatest of all time. So then it's a hero. Yeah. Yeah. So you can be the goat that gets slaughtered or the goat that. It can be used interchangeably. OK. As far as I know. <laughs> Back to our own definitions. Yeah. All right. So well, I think we covered history. I mean, yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about today. Like what what's the process? How much has changed? You said not a lot. Um, and this is still mostly from your perspective, but maybe this is a fair time to bring in just a few uh, kind of anecdotes from what we hear from from our clients and, and how they're going about it. I think a good uh, use case, obviously, would be RKW. They just brought in an analyst to talk through, um, you know, all that disparate data and try and make better sense of it. Um, and, you know, we have an opportunity, I think, to learn a lot going through that process with them headed into 20. But, yeah, um, talk to us about today. Yeah, well, yeah, to just put a fine point on it, before on the vendor side, it was like everyone just goes to every vendor and says, how much should I spend? But no vendor gets to talk to one another or gets your goals. And so, you know, if you're spending a lot on apartments.com, should I rec recommend as much on paid search or vice versa, right? Um, so then today's world, and I'll speak more from like outside of the clients that we work with and more of just like when a client first comes to us and we ask them, how do you guys handle budgeting? Um, it's very similar. You will get more data points, it seems now. So I'll give a good example. But um, Carly from uh, Barron, like we were just talking with her the other day and she's going through budgeting. She's not a client of ours, but she when she went through how she budgets, I was just blown away at, at the sophistication that she that she's um, exhibiting right now. Yeah. So, you know, hers is like, Hey, here's my, here's my current occupancy. Here's my forecasted, um, exposure, um, you know, for the next 12 months here is, um, here was my CPL last year for this property. Here was my close rate for this property. And so she's thinking about very much more on a per property basis. Now that's, that takes a lot more time to gather all that data together, but at least she's, she's doing it right. Um, and so then she she is then going to her vendors and saying, hey, vendor, how much should I spend here? How much should I spend there? Um, so that I'd say that's still not the norm, but that is more we're closer to that than we used to be where people would they, they'll go to vendors now, but they'll be a little bit more like, hey, this channel has not performed for me before. So what do you think? Yeah, I think that's kind of a. I guess, byproducts of a bigger picture, you know, within the industry and uh, just, I guess, um, in marketing is that with all the advent of new technology and, you know, just constantly being bombarded by data, 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 that there is just this collective pressure that's that's starting to hit these marketers, especially the younger ones. And I think they're more likely to embrace it, um, saying, hey, it's not good enough for me to just work off of last year's budget, add 3%, make a couple modifications on my ILS buys and call it a day. Um, they, you know, I don't want to say that they can't live with themselves, but again, there's, there's a new generation that's entering into this. And so I think you're seeing more of an effort, uh, willingness to try to uh, add in more data points and be more thoughtful, more strategic about how they're approaching it. 
the good and the bad with that, um, and it's almost like what we see with the ILSs versus the PPC, is that um, when you bring in more data points, um, you know, you can have that whole paralysis by analysis and, and not have, uh, you know, I guess, uh, um, I don't know, a, a, a clean strategy that you, you can ultimately articulate and then rinse and repeat, you know, from one property to the next. I think it's great, you know, um, that again, we're seeing kind of that next generation that, that's committed to that, but that's going to take us into, and not to jump ahead to the future, but where I think ourselves, and we've talked about this many times for you, um, but also for these marketers, where they really begin and end, where they should start to, uh, you know, um, leverage, you know, technology that's out there to get them to the finish line. So again, well, you know, uh, you can kind of, if you need to keep going on, on where we're at today, uh, but then we can touch on the future. And then obviously I, uh, it's going to be our fun time to go ahead and jump into the workshop. Well, yeah, I think just um, to finish up on current, I'd say you're right. What's changed, I feel like people's minds today, and, and Carly's not the only example, has actually been the the good work that the different marketing agencies have, and technologies have, have the, that fight they fought. So uh, Yardi with their new attribution like system, like all the marketing they're putting behind that is making people think like, oh, whoa, I've heard that word attribution before. Now it seems like I should pay attention to it. What's it mean? And whether they're using Yardi's attribution system or their own or just Google Analytics, they're like, well, I should be aware of this and I should have an idea. Okay, great. Yeah. Or like um, ILM, right? Like, oh, shoot, uh, you know, this is what it's telling me. You know, what is my close rate? Now, we've had many conversations with people where let's not get when it comes to attribution, don't just consider uh, last click, first contact, right? And that, that those are big holes, and that's that's a hard problem to solve. But all I'm all I mean to say here is I think that's what's helping change the conversation for that sort of like middle tier, like the younger folks that are getting into the industry, and then sort of those folks that are midway in their career. It tends to be the more senior folks have have intuition that they started to rely on and has been fine tuned, so they they just don't have to do as much of that or don't feel the need to. Less likely that they do. Um, but I'll, I want to give credit to the ILMs, the Yardies, even like the G5s with, you know, their, their platform now, um, at, at least helping change that conversation. So, yeah, the attribution is kind of funny. I talk about buzzwords and it's, it's healthy. It's good that they're starting to bring that up. I have to share this. I think, I don't know who I was telling the story to, but, uh, the first time I came across that was, uh, about 10 years ago. Um, I was up in Seattle and uh, I was working for CBS at the time and I was a complete charlatan trying to lead this digital uh, department. Um, I, I faked my way into the position big time. And, uh, you know, before I really could even get my bearings, uh, one of the reps there was like, hey, um, you know, I want to take you out to meet with Razorfish. And I was like, well, what's what's a Razorfish? And it's like, well, obviously this is an agency. Um, they're one of the bigger shops and little did I know, not just in Seattle, not just in the United States, but in the world. And, uh, they were about to bring out a guy that, that knew just a little more than pay-per-click, uh, to try and talk shop with them. And so, uh, I said, sure, no problem. You know, uh, obviously kept a poker face. I was like, I got this. And so we went out there, two, three of us, and, uh, I came up there and it was one of those Austin power tables, as I've, I've said to you a few times, uh, I could barely see the person at the end and they had their whole camp, their old entourage. And it was a cattle call. And we were coming through like just one, one, uh, media group after the next. And it's like, okay, um, CBS you're up. And so within five minutes, uh, you know, the attribution, the first time I ever heard it, uh, came up and they said, you know, read what, what attribution model do you subscribe to? And, uh, 
you know, I didn't bust out in like a cold sweat, but uh, I think I went with like uh, borrowed from like a constellation or something. I think I said Perseus or something. I, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't really sure wh- uh, what they were even meaning. Um, I bring it up a because it, it does make me laugh as I think back and how long ago uh, it was when I first heard that word. But not much has changed. There's still all these different camps. And now, of course, um you know, iterations of, of those first few models, you know, about last click, you know, multi-touch and all this stuff, but it still isn't figured out. And, uh, I'm going to borrow another, one of my favorite terms that, uh, uh, our, our copywriter, senior copywriter brought into some of our emails, which is a Sisyphean task, you know, is, is to think that we're going to solve or anybody's going to really solve that. You know, Google's been at it. Um, I won't say Facebook has cause Google, it makes more sense, but, you know, it's a hot topic for me. Like, I think there's a very different approach to take when it comes to attribution. It doesn't mean that it's not important because it is, but it's almost unsolvable. You know, to me, it's the Rubik's Cube, like uh, in all of digital marketing. And so, you know, what what ways can you work through that around that? Um, still feel like, you know, you made sense out of the data and, and made a good, educated, informed, you know, I guess, decision or approach. Well, I think, yeah, just to highlight a couple things there. Uh or maybe particularly for this industry, right? Like it's not saying that it, we're not saying that you can't, that I I would say it's very hard to solve that problem. It's, it is an enigma. And no matter who you are, if you're banana Republic or Amazon, right? It's hard to say like what caused that sale, right? And particularly if you're in an apartment and you have that $2,000 or $4,000 a month to work with, and you have these disparate systems like the accountants want to use this system and the marketers want to use this system and operations wants to use that, you know, lead management system. It's like these systems aren't going to talk well to one another. And then you have the big factor we talked about earlier, like location, like how much should we really get, give credit to the agency or to the ILS for here versus just, you know, the darn location people drive by it all the, all the time. Right. Um, so I think it's more about like, like you were saying about paralysis, like, and we were trying to hit this at the summit, but let's not get, let's not get paralyzed by trying your whole enemy, the perfect of good. Let's not get paralyzed. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> let's not, yeah, yeah. Let's not get paralyzed by it and not do anything. So we had uh professor Beaver, or as we like to call him the beef, talk about AI and machine learning at the summit and his thing, his overall message, as I heard it was like, Hey, you can be, you know, Excel, an Excel sheet or a spreadsheet is pretty sophisticated if you treat it that way. So don't get all enchanted with AI or ML all the time. Like, you know, use the, use the spreadsheet and it's great. And it gets, it gets done the work you need for like 95% of questions you have. Oh, you were warned about this. You acted cool. <laughs> it's Google. <laughs> Google's calling you. Mount, Mountain View. Yeah. yeah. All right. Apologies. I blew that one. Yeah. So at the summit, Dr. Beaver or the Beav, as we like to call him, um, you know, his speech was on AI and ML. And the overall theme that I took away from that was don't get hung up on the buzzwords or trying, uh, trying too hard to incorporate that into your, into your life. Uh, Excel spreadsheets are pretty sophisticated and can answer most questions. So, um, what I want, the point I want to make here is let's not, not budget, you know, in a smarter fashion because, uh, because we don't have all the answers or we don't have our own attribution model figured out if, if you're the client. Instead, like take take a shot at it and take iterative steps forward. So you got to get started at some point, right? And so um, back, uh, if we get back to the, I guess you want to cover the, the future first before we get into key ingredients yeah, today? I, I mean, my thought on that though, I, I agree. Like, um, 
you know, not trying is, is the, the last thing that, that, you know, we would want that they would want. And so again, effort, you know, is being made, things are evolving, uh, maybe slower than we'd like to see, at least from my perspective. Um, but one more note, I guess, or thread that we could cover on attribution, like, why is it that you think it's so difficult? Why is it that it hasn't been solved? And it's still, you know, the Rubik's cube of digital marketing. And I'm going to give you my theory, and this is going to be more pointed at our industry. But if I were looking for an apartment today, um, and went through that process and, you know, what we, we believe is probably somewhere around 40 to 60 days, uh, maybe shorter for, for me as a man, right? Because we figured that out too or found that out that we, we make decisions uh, typically a little bit faster. The path that I take is almost guaranteed, almost, I, I would say it's guaranteed, is going to be different if I literally started tomorrow. Like I, I firmly believe that that's, that's what kind of moving target you're dealing with. So how do you solve for that? Because today, um, I might start with the ILS. I might start with Google. I might've gotten hit with, uh, you know, I'm in the market, right. For an apartment and Facebook caught me with a, a really cool looking, you know, condo downtown or whatever. And that, that started my journey tomorrow. That would not be the same path. And so if that's the case, then how do you ever really connect the dots? And worse for them, to your point about being a smaller property or a property with a smaller budget and really less call it sample size of data to work with, is that um, they're not getting uh, to look at what Amazon looks at, which is millions of, of transactions a day. They're looking at a handful each month and they're just supposed to try and piece that together. I don't know how that truly, I don't know how that ever happens. So I think that it's still important. Like I said, you don't dismiss the data that you're, you're seeing and, and trying to like establish some sort of semblance of a, a common customer journey. Um, but it's also the opportunity and it is a good segue for the future of where technology is taking us, that those kinds of optimi optimizations and fingerprinting, which is a, you know, kind of bubbling up term right now when it comes to attribution is, is, is the wave of the future where that kind of, um, you know, down to the individual, like mapping in the day, in the location, um, in the time of the day is all accounted for. Um, but, uh, it's still not a perfect science. Um, but it's exciting. You know, obviously it's a big problem that, that isn't going to get solved overnight and we're knee deep in it. But I believe that you need to have more of a, a collective look at things. Um, you know, meaning like with properties, not one property, try to use and build a data warehouse with your whole portfolio so that you can have more data to work with instead of struggling through what, you know, is, is pretty minute and disparate, all things considered. So what, what is your do you agree, disagree? Like what's your opinion on why? Well, I, I have a few reasons why. First off why? is the competing interests. So you have Google and Facebook and they don't like to play well with one another. Right. And what is most people's source of truth online? It's Google analytics, Right. And you have Facebook with its own competing platform, Facebook analytics trying to take off. And they sure as heck don't want to share data amongst each other very nicely because, you know, it's, it's that whole jockeying, not to get too far off track, but it's similar to like when the iPhone came out and Google Maps didn't want to have turn by turn directions on there. It was a, it was a competitive thing. Um, well, when it comes uh, next up, besides competing interests would be privacy is like we know that Facebook's getting slammed right now on, on privacy, right? And you have the same thing across every platform search, like you know, Google's concerned, the uh, different programmatic display networks are concerned. Nobody wants to share a unique identifier that you can tie together across all of these different systems. 
Um, then you have the the different tech that sure as heck doesn't want their stuff analyzed. So like your display vendor or programmatic vendor in other categories, because it's not well used in apartments. Um, there is a heck of a lot of fraud of fraud when it comes to like display advertising or fr- frankly, any advertising online. And so when you, it, a lot of folks don't want their stuff to be appropriately measured because they're afraid of what it would show. And it's like, well, heck man, if I really knew how much that display campaign didn't do for me, what am I going to, what am I going to do with that? Right. And that's not because they mean to, it's just cause like the publishers online, the different blogs that ads appear on, like there's so much that goes into that. Maybe we should do a whole nother episode sometime on, on, uh, digital fraud, but it's not, it's not, it's not anybody's fault there that they can solve. And then it comes down to offline as well. So as you, as you said, you, you gave it your more of your own digital journey ma- mapping. And I almost said micro moments cause that was Google's thing, right? Like what's your micro moment yeah, I'm glad today? You didn't. I would have puked all over you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, what is your, what, how does offline change? Right. So like if you, if you decided to go to Chick-fil-A for breakfast this morning and you took a different route to work versus you took every other day, it's like that's going to change what you see in the world and even like what, in this case, what building you're driving by and may give you a different idea of where you might want to live and or what part of town you might want to live in. So yes, your your journey is different every single day. So attribution is is nigh impossible really to figure out. And um, I, I we're going to have self-driving cars before someone feels really confident about like a you know, at large attribution model that you can put on any website. Oh yeah. And I am not hot on self-driving cars. Okay. (laughs) I'm very far away from self-driving cars and I'm further away from attribution getting solved, at least on a mass scale, right? Like in an e-commerce store, pure e-commerce store is going to have an easier time with that than, than these folks at physical locations like apartments. Um, Yeah, and maybe even three because, you know, maybe that DeLorean will fly. Well, that's the old Wild West, so, you know, kind of, you know. It lost you at three? Yeah, yeah. Let's stick with two. All right. Um, so ready ready to move on to the future? Or, uh, yeah, well, we also need to get our main ingredients. So maybe maybe we should pause for a sec, pause and say what are what top three ingredients today or or what would be our top ingredients today to focus on? And then we can be like, sweet, now this is action that you can take. And then, then we can get into future, like, you know, what ingredients, what ingredients might change or process might change at that point. Okay. So is this going to be the moment? Like, is this our force rank top three, like data points that we would use for budgeting or, uh, am I, I yeah. guess, interpreting that? Yeah. What are your, and if you want to go more than three, that's fine. But you were just almost had like a hot sweat, feverish dream this weekend about what your top ingredients would be. So, yeah, well, I'm obviously not going to get all 25 and now you're asking me to force rank to three. Well, just, you know, give us your top handful. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully I don't sound hypocritical here, uh, to, to bring in the CRM or LMS data, but I do think guest card data would be at, uh, top of my list, Google analytics, um, search trends. So that's going to be, you know, through Google and then comp data. Um, and for me, that's just helping kind of determine size, the, the markets, uh, you know, ebbs and flows and, and what it can bear as far as, uh, those occupancy rates. But, um, I, I list those four, I couldn't get started until I knew what the targets were. And so that was something else that I thought was good by our man, uh, Rocky Sunling. Hopefully I got that right. Uh, but he's the one who, who wrote the story in, in the AMD publication and, 
he was just uh, saying um, too often that uh, folks, when they get into their budgeting mode, they immediately start grabbing all the data that they can. And frankly, like, you know, some of the stuff I just listed off and they start cranking. Um, but uh, what's most important, and I totally agree with this, is you have to ask the right questions up front. So it's not necessarily like that's not a data point, but it's like, uh, you know, I don't know if I can call it an ingredient, but I'm I'm going to say I have to know certain things about about more your goals. Uh, and then I can interview you and go through the discovery process about some other stuff, you know, in my bucket of 25 that will help me be more informed about building it. So, yeah, I would say first, let me know where, where you are trying to end. And uh, and I'd love to see the spread by by every month. And then I'm going to I'm going to go to those four. I guess I think I gave you four KPIs. Yeah, you gave CRM, trends, GA, comps, and you said all that's dependent on at least having your targets. So I am not too far off from there, I'm, um, but I will change slightly. So I have started with occupancy and exposure, or at least occupancy and churn. Like you have to know that number. If you're backing into any sort of budget, you have to know that. So that's your targets comment. Um, next would be market competitiveness. So for me, that is looking at comps. It's also saying like, is this a, you know, bullish market or bear? So are a lot of people moving there? What's the inventory like, like we're too saturated or not? Um, I care less about if what your comps are doing, meaning a lot of folks we talk to in the marketing side will say, Hey, I just called up all my comps and they're spending $3,000 a month. So we need to spend $3,000 a month. It's kind of the whole like group dumb mentality, like, Right. Like that doesn't get you anywhere. If everyone's doing the wrong thing, you guys are just spending each other like for no reason. Um, like group that. Well, they always talk about group think and group wise. Yeah. I think you're group dumb. Okay. Although I often go, I go, I'll say self dumb because I'll see everybody with umbrellas and I'm like, Psh, morons. <laughs> and, and then I'm the one that gets rained on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look out for that in the next storm. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but I, I, I'm going to keep those as my, th- as my top three data points. And for market competitiveness, I'll let, you know, the listener slide in whatever, whatever data they have access to there. Cause I, I want them to be able to try to do something with it, but whether that's cost per click data, whether that's, if you trust your CRM and you want to use your cost per lead data or cost per source data, or if you want to do it more off of the move ins, move, move outs in the market, whatever data point you have, that's fine. Just come up with something that can tell you is this a hot market or not, right? And then from there, you can layer in your occupancy targets versus like what you, your expected churn is by month. And you'll be able to get to some loose number that's better than flatlining your budgets for 12 months, like everyone always does. In fact, in our meeting this morning, the 200 unit management company, they said, or 200 uh, asset management company, they said, yeah, we just take last year's budget and add 3%. It's like, that's kind of how people have gotten along. And then they just divide by 12 right? Like to spread it out throughout the year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say one other qualifier. There is a difference to me between owner operated and third party or mixed management companies. So this would be a topic we go into on another day, but um, when it comes to, to owner operated, they t- tend to have more flexibility. And so they can kind of self like course correct throughout the year. Um, but owner operated tend to spend less money overall than third party. Third-party management, in our experience, at least from what we've seen, they have larger marketing budgets, but they're less nimble with those, and they very much are stuck with the budget they have, usually. They can sometimes make cases throughout the year to like, hey, we need another 1000 bucks. But I have a qualifier here as a question mark uh, thing like, hey, 
budget. So you and I, we've griped about this internally lots of times. No matter who we make a recommendation for, apartments or an auto dealership or, or you know, grandma's cookie shop, we hate when people ask the budget question like, hey, what, what, what's your budget? Or even when we get pitched by vendors and vendors are like, what's your budget? I hate that. Come with a, yeah, come with a recommendation. So if it's a third party, that may be a question though that, that you should be aware of. So back to my year one, like, you know, experience in budgeting is like, tell me at the, out of the gate that like, you know, you've got X budget to spend and you want me to help break that up for you. Cause it does, I can do that and maybe you do both. Maybe if you're asking a vendor, you're saying, Hey vendor, what, what, what would you recommend? And it's a clean slate next up is like, okay, well now you only have this much to work with. So what would you do? Um, but if there's that budget, then I would, I would basically uh, back, well, I would have to start with that number and then back into it with those, with those characteristics I was talking about. That said, I wouldn't, if I were the the marketer, I would not try to just use up whatever budget I was given just because you had $4,000 last month add 3% for inflation. That doesn't mean that you should just go try to spend your $4,000. The market could have changed. Denver is a great example of that, right? Like this market last year, super hot. Like you didn't need to advertise. They didn't have enough capacity. This year, things are starting to change and people need, you need to advertise more. So if you just use last year's budget, you didn't factor for market competitiveness. Guess what? Next year, you're going to be in a world of hurt and everyone's going to be pointing at marketing as the, as the goat. Well. Wow. There you go. The goat. Yeah. I think what's tough for them is they don't often have the autonomy, I guess, uh, authority. They're not empowered to make those decisions about, you know, what the spread is, like whether they can like have kind of contingency budgets, um, you know, save up, you know, those nuts for the end of the year when things get rough. So they're more on a use it or lose it mentality, which is unfortunate. And while they get, they may get a little bit more, um, strategic, you know, from quarter to quarter on where and how they place it, um, you know, they're, they're disincentivized, um, from what I can tell, um, to, to, um, you know, save on, on behalf of the company or be more kind of enterprise, big, pic bigger picture in the way that they think about it, which again, I think is problematic. So I want to come back though, before I forget to the comps. Um, so we've seen this ourselves, definitely, uh, many of our clients have been too happy to, to share, um, the, their co-star comps. So that's very common in this industry. Uh, I feel like the majority of folks uh, believe, rely on that data. But one of the things I thought uh, you did a good job like early on of identifying is just how, uh, I guess, inconsistent those, those comps are um, with uh, what we believe would be appropriate comps, I guess, between marketing and operations. And so a lot of times, you know, I think you called out the geographic um, kind of uh, um, you know, distances is, is just something that seemed kind of silly where, you know, one property 20 miles away from another was being considered a comp, but it's because CoStar and their algorithm seemingly is very focused more on the operational side of things. Whereas a marketer probably wouldn't see it that way. Um, so maybe you can speak just a little bit more about that. And then I also, um, curious to know what you feel is statistically relevant as far as comps. So, uh, we, recently hired our chief data officer and uh, obviously worked with Lurch uh, for several years in the past. And one of the things he would beat me up on a lot of times is I'd be trying to find trends and patterns, you know, that we potentially could get better, optimize, be smarter about is, you know, read that's just not statistically relevant. So um, obviously there's going to be all sorts of qualifiers in here as I think you respond to that. But, um, you know, in the larger market, just using an easy example, um, what's statistically relevant is not going to be the same as what's statistically relevant in Boise. And so um, 
yeah, start with, uh, you know, kind of the, the thought process um, in sizing the market and how much you can really rely on the comps, the difference between uh, what a co-star might come up with and what we would see or believe on the marketing side. And then if you can remember all this, and I trust that you will, uh, then finish with statistically relevant. Well, starting with um, just the comps, when we are provided comps, I used to care a lot more. So back in like second or third year that I was helping people do budgets, I cared more about comps. It was like, tell me about this, send me those reports or whatever you're looking at. Um, but I've, as I got deeper with that, I started personally trusting comps less. And you and I have seen that as we, as we investigate like what they consider comps. And you basically hit it already is like, they're looking at like, does this have a similar unit count? Sweet. Okay. It's 25 miles away. Other side of Houston does not, does not help us from a marketing standpoint when you're talking hyper local, right? Um, so I've stopped using comps personally as much if I'm doing a budget, if, if it's more of like, I got to get a budget quickly, I, I've almost stopped factoring for comps. Also part of that, uh, the comp factor that hurts, that hurts. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some qualifiers certainly. Um, and I'm trying not to, to shoot down the middle, trying to be, you know, more, uh, open and clear about it, but Certainly, I think it matters to comps when you're thinking about like, well, what is the market appetite for this type of asset or this type of unit? But when it comes to just flat out picking your marketing budget, like a like a marketer that may be listening would do, there that matters less about like how is is comp A, B, or C. If you agree with those comps, how are they marketing? Calling them up and finding out that they have a diamonds package, so you need a diamonds package, or that they spend two thousand on search, so you should spend two thousand on search. I do. I disagree with that. I. I would basically run where they're not spending, right? And try to like, and you know, be master of that domain. So they're not doing anything on Facebook or Instagram. You can own that, right? Irrespective of audience? Cause no, not, not irrespective. Certainly yeah. not. Uh, but I think, you know, if it's senior living and all you did was Snapchat, like probably not going to go so, so well, right? Right. Um, but I, most people have just followed the crowd so far with where they're spending. And I, there's something to that back to your comment about no one, got fired for buying apartments.com. There's some places you just kind of have to be like, guess what? You need to Google my business profile and it needs to be accurate. You can't get away from that. Right. But just cause they're spending for a diamond doesn't mean you should, or just cause they're spending on search doesn't mean you necessarily should. Cause maybe it's, it's too competitive. So I, I, I pay less attention when it comes to marketing splits or mixes on comps, but with budget is more about like, is this going to be a challenging type of asset to, to market in this territory or not? Right. And then back to your uh, your question on like the comps that are usually provided, does those are accurate. I mean, my instinct tells me as far as like everything we've reviewed, it's like 30 percent of the time that those comps make sense. There's sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm like, wow, I, I agree that these are comps when I dig into it. But out of the gate, usually, like you said, it's more operationally or even more on the developer side. They've basically picked developer comps, not marketing comps or operational comps. You you finished yeah you were asking about uh, statistically mass. relevant yeah, yeah statistically basically, relevant basically let's how go, much data yeah, did let's you go need? there yeah so um, I unfortunately 
for the mo for the for the average user, they're not going to have enough data to get statistically relevant. I mean, if you look at like how LRO or Yieldstar do their comps, they're they do five, right? They're like, hey, once we get five properties, we anonymize it, and then you're good to go. Well, we all know if we picked five friends, are we going to get about anything? Like what the best t-shirt is or the best color or the best logo design or the best pizza? Is that going to be enough? Negative, right? So unfortunately for most marketers or for marketers in this space, they're just not going to have access to get enough data to be statistically relevant. Instead, you have to lean on a little bit of your instinct, a little bit of your experience, right? And then a little bit of the data that you can get. But I just, I don't even need to say that like, uh, even we've, we, when we've talked to the folks at Graystar, even with 1700 properties, they do not have enough data. They don't have enough propensity in any one market or anywhere to get, to get enough to feel really confident um, about, you know, what they should, and I should say, they haven't said that this is us projecting for them. But when you look at their, when you look at how their assets are dropped across the U S and like how many A's or B's or whatever, and then in what kind of locale and do they match? It's like, they don't, they don't have enough mass. So if they don't have enough mass, is anybody going to have enough mass? And if CoStar and you know, whoever like need five properties and that's how they determine their algorithm and CoStar is supposedly tracking all of them, it's 80,000 from what we've been told. They're tracking 80,000 properties and they can't get more than five to feel confident. Yeah, it's not going to work. And I can't remember whether it was Yardi or whether it was CoStar, but I'm sure they would contest what you just said. And I, uh, I'll, I'll be Switzerland on, on this one because I agree with some of it, disagree with others, so I'll, I'll stay neutral here. But um, you know, they uh, one of them does basically the effect of posting, which is to you know, here's what the forecast was, here's what the comps, the appropriate comps were, what they told us, and then they actually do true that up a few months later. Um, holding themselves accountable to what those forecasts were. That's Axio. Okay, Axio, yeah. So, who, yeah, yeah. Who got purchased, so, yeah. Yeah, RealPage, um, which I appreciate. I think that that's one of the more dynamic, unique things that they bring bring forward. Um, but ultimately, I, I think it's, it's, it, it's, you know, you have to test, right? But the data should, should um, like, I would like to think um, that they over time have, have gotten a point and maybe five as crazy as that sounds is statistically relevant. I, I like your analogy about, you know, uh, individuals, five friends and that kind of stuff, but we're talking about buildings, not personality. So maybe in fact that is appropriate. Maybe, um, at least those larger providers, data providers like an Axio or CoStar is able to, to deliver that. But then once you get into the, the sub kind of market, as we keep talking about, that's, uh, that's where things get trickier. But anyways, um, not not to digress and uh, get too fixated on comps, but I think it's an interesting topic because it's a should, big part of the way. You we know, should do a total a whole thing on comps because yeah. you and I have spent many hours talking about those. Yeah. Uh, why don't so let's we get to the future? Or? Yeah, the future, and then uh, we can wrap this one. Cool. Well, I'll let you start. You're always the guy to talk about the future. So, <laughs> well, um, I I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say the future is ML equals machine learning and AI equals artificial intelligence. So that's uh, the biggest cop out um, that I could, you know, offer up, but I'm, I'm still going to run with it uh, because I think that ultimately, you know, you, you just need to know where humans kind of begin and end. And it's not to scare anybody or, or sound dystopian in this prediction, or but the reality is, is that our brains cannot compute. They cannot, um, solve they can't um kind of evolve you know these these types of algorithms um and, and disparate data at 
anywhere near. I mean, it's almost not worth saying, but the clip that technology can. And so I think the best thing that that we can do um, and we already have kind of set in motion or starting is is grab as much what would appear to be relevant data, organized data. Um, and you always say put it in a slurry, basically, um, you know, or a blender. Um, and that blender ultimately is going to be deeper machine learning and AI and let it do its thing. Um, nobody likes that idea, I think, um, just, you know, unregulated. And that's the biggest question is how do you kind of manage that? So we've heard more and more and we heard from Beaver about this in the summit is, uh, you know, we're not there yet. I think he said that eight times when he got to the AI, uh, the neural networks, um, the sophistication with AI, that technology is just not where we'd like it to be. And I forget the the giraffe example, uh, the number of images before uh AI could even identify what a giraffe was versus a cat or something like that. Yeah, it was like three million. Yeah, so something crazy. Um, but I guess we have to partly define future. Are we talking 20 years out? Are we talking 10? Are we talking three? Are we talking one? Um, but there is, and, and he also hammered this point, things that go beyond an Excel sheet um, that are deeper machine learning, predictive modeling and analytics uh, that should start to be um, utilized more um, and certainly at scale. So that's that's the future uh, when it comes to budgeting um, is that there is going to be more reliance on on technology and ML and AI uh, to to get us to the finish line. So I think uh, the training of that, obviously, who's managing, um, you know, those technologies. And a lot of times, frankly, it's not going to be in house. It's not going to be your your local analyst, so to speak, um, which you know is going to create some trust issues potentially um, in working with third parties. But that that's a. Uh, that's what's going to evolve. Um, and hopefully, you know, it will start to accelerate, uh, over the next several years. And what, what time frame do you put on that? Oh, um, well, speaking a little out of turn here, cause uh, I think Beaver might slap me if I, if I said in, in three years that, uh, that, but maybe not, you know, right. Cause when you hear about AI and ML, it's like, well, they start forming their own algorithms and then they just accelerate and accelerate and accelerate. The speed that technology learns itself is is something that we almost can't get our, our, our heads around. So why should we believe that it's going to take 20 years for AI to get there? Um, that wasn't really asked of him. Uh, and now I want to ask him, you know, how he imagines kind of the pace of this of this happening. But it would seem to me that with the appropriate, uh, the appropriate data, the appropriate training, um, and God knows the appropriate technology that we could expect within three years, a quantum leap as far as uh, the marketing budgets and the, the accuracy of them. Would you, would you say that that will be more the norm or would you say in three years it's more of like it's possible? Well, uh, we all know there's early adopters, and certainly we we see them ourselves in this industry. Those that are willing to to test and explore a little bit earlier, um, knowing the pace, I'll say, I'll, you know, narrow this to, to obviously our industry, apartment marketing. Um, I I think it's it's not going to be the norm. Unfortunately, I think it's going to take probably five to seven years. Um, you've already you know mentioned that a few times to me, and that. Uh, took that long for rev management, revenue management to really take hold and for people to trust it. You know, one thing, and I, this isn't meant to be a shameless plug that's unique uh, in how we're attacking it as a company, um, specifically with Fiona, um, that could help accelerate is 
well, twofold. One, revenue management already exists. So they saw that movie, um, and many of them do believe in it. Um, it. I think it's fair to say it's definitely industry-wide. Um, but two is we, we haven't stopped short of just like using technology. Uh, we also include explanations. So we actually provide commentary. And for me personally, like if I'm, I'm coming across new technology for the first time, that does a lot. You know, giving me some plain English to explain what the hell, uh, you know, this recommendation is there for. Um, so I think the, the blend, I guess, of more kind of off the shelf pre-built, you know, um, AI and ML models um, that are just getting better and better and better in uh, concert with uh, something like we're delivering, which is which is explanations, will uh, will get us from what might be five to seven years to two to three years. So that's bold prediction. Yeah. Bold prediction. Uh, we're we're going to be all about those. So well, I'll quickly. I guess know. I need to define that real quick. So this is another number that uh, kind of uh, we're all over the place with, but I think you are orienting, which means I'm going to orient around about 120,000 properties. Uh, we know there's a lot more out there than that, but I think you know my bold prediction needs to have some numbers to it. So, and I'm not going to make this all about uh, Fiona, but that I'll just say um, by 2022. So I'm giving myself two and a half years that uh, 4%, that sounds like a small number, but it's not, uh, 4% of properties and property management companies, so maybe I should say properties, uh, are going to be using machine learning for their budget process. I'm looking off in the distance at Brian so he can record, meaning he can <laughs> write that down and we can play this back in 2022 <laughs> dun, dun, dun. uh yeah okay well i i think that is aggressive i i mean you've heard me say the five to seven years of threat management so i think it's a similar track i think um if i back up about like what the future is um and even sort of like sum up the the past the present and the future it's like there used to be the the books right the apartment guide books that you could buy and it's like okay yeah well you got to be in the book to be found right then as stuff started to go online it was like oh shoot you know, it's 2001, 2004. I don't know jack squat about the internet and this digital thing. Like, thank goodness I was able to get budget for a website. Um, so let me ask my rep what I should be spending. Apartment guide rep or apartments.com rep or whoever it is, digital dude that you know tells you to go do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, sweet. And that's been happening for a while. Then uh, it's it's gotten more like, well, heck, my reps are kind of just in it for themselves, right? Apartments.com wants to spend everything there. Google guy wants to spend everything there. So then it became a lot more like instinct, guesswork, what feels intuitively right. And uh, But now folks are starting to go, again, back a little bit more. They're get, starting to get out of the guesswork. There's more folks that are being more open about where they should spend their budget, and they're starting to get back to asking their reps about, like, where should I spend or how much should I spend. The next, the next, well, I guess what you're missing from this as far as like I'm painting broad strokes here, but no, along the way, there hasn't been a lot of process in place. So in the immediate future, what I see happening is that folks are going to start getting more processed. So instead of the good old boy relationships that people have had, and that's why I spend there or there, um, instead it's going to be like, you know what? I have a system and I have an internal formula that I follow X number of units in this market, these channels, these goals, whatever, spend this much money here. I think, um, as we as we talked about, it, it's it's hard to get enough data to really use ML AI. 
you and I have had conversations with Beaver and, and others that have said, hey, guess what? Like machine learning is getting better and it doesn't need as much data as it used to need. But we still need 3 million pictures to know a giraffe from a, from a cat. So guess what? We don't have enough data when it comes to apartments. So I think the AI ML, like to take the, ra- to take the real rails off of things, I see that as being, and for, to get wide adoption in the industry, I do think that's like more like a 10-year journey. And that's apartments. For marketers at, at, at large across the globe, I think it could be 25 years. I mean, it's, it's so far out, like don't even, don't even worry about it. Cause I, you and I, we know more vendors than just about anybody and nobody is solving that problem when it comes to like at large, like where should you be spending? Google in its own ecosystem is trying to with its, with different AdWords express options and stuff, but guess what? That's just Google, right? That's not considering Facebook because Google's not going to tell you what to spend on Facebook and vice versa. Um, so I think in the near term, it's going to be process and people are going to, there's going to be more process that people pass around rules of thumb that they start using. And then I, I think there could be some incorporation of different technologies, whether it's something like what we are working on Fiona or whether it's other competitors in the space that can kind of help get you there. Um, but I don't see it having the same impact as revenue management for, well, probably, I guess like 2030 or something. I mean, it's a ways out. Yeah, I totally disagree. I I mean, the context is important, so maybe uh, this would have me agree more with you. But what's the adoption rate, which I don't think you know, but maybe you'd, you'd be willing to throw out a, a guess on uh, rev management. So I put 4% on that. And right. that, to me, that's still relevant, but that's not widespread adoption um, over the next two to three years. Uh, not well, yeah. So so give me give me some numbers here so that I can either more agree with you or disagree with you. But uh, when you think about, I like your thought and I don't totally disagree about the part about the process coming really before the adoption of the technology. But I'm seeing that kind of, uh, I guess, um, evolution of like, you know, ape to man where we don't see the Cro-Magnon like it goes straight to man um, because they're going to figure out once they finally have process that there's technology that can just do this for them. And it's like, do we really need to like, you know, go for another five years just because we finally figured out a process. It's like there's a technology right. off the shelf that can just get us walking up. Right. Well, I'm discounting everything that we're trying to do um, with this. This is almost like if we, <laughs> I know, if we set sail, like what would happen? Um, but I, I do think at one point I didn't make during my like Cro-Magnum or whatever evolution was, um, I think the industry is in for some real growing pains in the next like two to three years. I think there's going to be some real shakeups from, what people do on the ILSs versus what they do off of them versus like how people are thinking about attribution. I just think it's, it's going to be a really interesting time in the next two to three back to my like sort of like stretch comment about wide adoption. I'm talking more like 40% or 60%. That's like, has the industry adopted this? And this is like a mainstay, right? Um, Particularly like if you went as far as to say that like, is AI or ML going to be used as widely as like the ILSs? Cause if you talk to somebody now, it is a, it's a rare sight when someone says they don't invest in the ILS, right? And if it's if it's kind of the opposite where it's a rare sight that you don't invest in machine learning or AI, I think that's a ways off. But to your to your point about like whether it's what we're doing or what like competitors may pop up, um, to get to 4%, that that is doable because I mean, it's silly, but even if like a gray star on their own started to do something like you're halfway to your number, right? Um, even if they internally built out some sort of a model. So that's that would be some, somewhat helpful for them. Yeah, good qualifier, 40% definitely um, far far beyond four. Um, 
I think what's interesting, and, and you know, you're starting to hear some some I guess conjecture about uh, you know the economic um, climate, um, and some uh, predicting you know another downturn, how that could or or would impact this uh, trajectory, um, because you know if if I built out you know a bunch of new units, new development, and suddenly um, I'm having a hard time filling filling the uh, the whatever the why am i blanking the the units it is definitely time to wrap this then uh then suddenly i'm not okay with uh whoever joe schmo is you know in his new process it's like that's not working for me like we have an noi number to hit um there's technology sitting right over here that supposedly is 1000 times smarter than you um and it's it's at a cost that, that I can afford to at least do some testing with. Why am I not doing that? You tell me, like, should I really be trusting you knowing that we're losing millions of dollars? All I'm pointing out is that those kinds of, uh, I guess, macro, uh, variables can suddenly like catapult new technology into widespread adoption. And, uh, it's not something obviously that any of us are hoping for. Um, but it, it's, it's just one of those things that that could change the course. Well, I I have one comment there uh, that also plays into it is most people don't adopt technology until they see at least a 10x return, not just on their investment, but uh, in the efficacy and the effectiveness and the usefulness, the efficiency, like all that stuff. So if you look at like, if they're only spending two to four grand on marketing and you need a 10x return, it's like, even if it, even at a hundred dollars, it's like they need to save a thousand dollars by using this technology, if that if that's what it was, and they just don't have that much budget, so it's like now you start to have to do the, do the math and say like, well, what would some tech like this have to do from them to make life better, right? Besides just a dollar and cents figure, because it are we going to be would the tech be able to squeeze a thousand dollars out of their marketing budget, right? Um, so that that plays into it too, but I think um, there's more that can go into play there because. Um, well, certainly usefulness and like how many properties can a single individual start to manage this way, the confidence level, like that sort of stuff can play in. And competitors, uh, just uh, adding on to your, your argument here, but uh, you saw it thinking all the way back to, to Napster, right? Um, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes. But the more uh, players that enter a space, the faster that, yeah. that technology gets adopted. Um, and for that reason, I'd say, yeah, maybe the next few years are going to move a little slower because we haven't seen other technology like that enter the space. But once that happens, then things could suddenly like you could see that multiplier hit. Right. So um, I do before we wrap, I wanted to get one set of questions, uh, one line of questioning out. Um, and this really will be the end of it. But once. So when it comes to budgeting overall, since that's the theme of this episode is like, what, what questions would you have for the industry? I know you and I, we do this all the time where it's like, we'll, you know, go in our like little dark cave and try to work on something. And then we're like, well, I wish someone could just tell us X, Y, or Z. So, um, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but just if you could rattle off a couple like questions that you would have for marketers or the industry at large or whatever that, that maybe we go uncover. Related to budgeting. Mm-hmm. I think we asked a lot of them. We put them in that uh, kind of hot spot um, at the summit. Um, but I, I would want to know the same things we just asked ourselves, which is what are the ingredients? How do you force rank those if, if you're, you know, if, if um, and then in different scenarios, and maybe that's too in, in the weeds on, on how they'd approach things when they're missing certain data sets. But then, you know, the comps, it's a big thing for me. How would you approach that? Um, 
you know, what kind of level of confidence do you feel? I mean, these are more open ended questions uh, when it comes to uh, those budgets after you sign off on them. And, uh, you know, what are your formulas? Um, how have they evolved, you know, back to kind of past, present, uh, but leaving out future uh, since you've been in the industry? Because I think what we are starting to discover, and in uh, some level it's exciting, it has me leaning in, is when we do catch, you know, a unique kind of correlation that we haven't heard of, which came up just a few days ago. You mentioned with Carly, where she pointed to a, uh, a technique or a tactic that she's employing now with her budgeting that we hadn't considered. So, um, yeah, I, I'm always curious to hear new different approaches, ideas, and then some of those kind of meat and potato questions is, is still what I don't feel really comfortable like. You know, even after the summit, I don't think they're really answered yet. Yeah, I have two main questions, one directly for marketers and then one out probably beyond that. For marketers, it's more of like how much like almost the why of what they do or what they consider. So if you look at like they'll look at their uh, <laughs> not quite, but yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess that maybe is a good way to think about it, but it's like you co constantly will run into marketers and they'll be like, no leads happen from this channel. Renew. And they just keep on doing it. It's like, well, I don't understand. Like, why is that not factored for? Is it because you don't believe your system, the lead management system, that no leads happened, that there was no value? Was it the how you were afraid to cancel this channel? Um, it, was it just an affinity? Like, what if, yeah, I just don't understand, like, why the, the, the purpose behind that decision. Yeah, you're getting more at the psychology. Yeah. So meaning, cause you know, at, at times as a marketer, when, or as a vendor, when you're reporting on something, you show the data and you're like, Oh man, are we going to sweat this one? Or is this going to be a high five? And then you'll get on a call or a presentation with a client and they either aren't sweating or aren't high fiving in, in this industry is, is remarkably even keel on if the results are good or the results are bad or, or respectively speaking, if you look at the data, they're just pretty even. And I don't get that. Like why, why there's not more I don't know why it's just sort of same old, same old doesn't matter. Is it because the marketers aren't being like held to the fire by the operators either? Cause it's such a small line item and the operator can't, isn't going to blow someone up or I just don't. I, I yeah. Just probably to some extent, I think it's you, we started somewhere with the part, nobody got fired for, you know, putting their money on apartments.com. But I think self-preservation plays a bigger factor than we might realize. And especially knowing that the general kind of age group, at least for me, like as you see this transition of newcomers coming in, that they uh, either don't have the, the confidence, the experience yet um, to, to challenge more or, or rethink things. And so they're more inclined to default, even though they're talking about more data and new processes that we're still not seeing, um, you know, the collective, I guess, courage uh, to fail and think differently about things. But I, I, I don't know for sure. Um, obviously, when it comes to those psychology tests, they ask you 20 different ways the same question. And I think that that would be the only way you'd ever get a, a clear answer, because I don't know yeah. how they'd actually react to that if you if you put them on. The well, there's certainly different forces at play if it's third party or owner operator, everything that we talked about. Um, and then to help wrap this up, the last question I have is not really for marketers, but more of like, what you and I are trying to figure out or the company is trying to figure out anyways, but is what, how, what is the true relationship between marketing and, and I'll say NOI, right? So it's like, sure as heck, nobody, do we see marketing two bedrooms different than one bedrooms? I mean, you're lucky if they vary, as we talked about, very budget by month or by platform, let alone by unit type availability, right? And so I'm wondering, like, if you have a rev management system and it's helping you raise rents, sweet, and you're marketing it, whatever, 
But if you are more, what is the true relationship between that, you know, rev management system and what you can, what you can yield for a unit versus marketing, right? So if you, what if you tripled your marketing spend? Wow, that would be insane, right? Like for most people, what would, would you be able to get higher rents? You and I were talking about this on the way over here today too, but like, um, yeah, if you raise rents by, by 15%, how much different is your marketing going to be? And could you even make that work? Or would the market just naturally be like, no can do buddy. Like you are not equivalent to these other properties in this price range. So I don't know, but I'd be very curious to see there, like what kind of that, that cross or tipping point is between marketing and NOI. Yeah. I think it's a great question. It's basically on some gradient that nobody's seen or has really talked through. Um, there's definitely a relationship there though. And I somewhat liken what you just brought up to like strategy with like AdWords campaigns that I still don't understand. And I'm sure we'll get into this at a different podcast, but why, uh, and I'll say us included, and, and it's more driven by client, but there's also the scalability. And so I, I know some of the token responses to this, but why we evenly pace campaigns over the cross uh, course of a month. I, I get stuck on that, you know, and I get stuck on a lot of things. Uh, why wouldn't you want to strike while the iron's hot? If you're getting good quality leads, dump all your budget in the first two weeks. What difference does it make? It's still the, the same amount of budget, but you're just forcing yourself to like pace evenly because somebody like needs to like have, you know, some sort of balance, I guess, in, in, in the data that they look at. Um, same question here for me on what you just described. It's like, you know, if you could spend more money up front, then theoretically you could drive up rates sooner. And then there's like the ripple or multiplier effect of that over time. It's like, why, why does things have to be amortized or spread out evenly or, um, you know, et cetera. And so that it would be one of those, uh, kind of, I guess, questions, um, subplots, if you will, uh, in that relationship between NOI and marketing that I think would be interesting to see unfold. So good stuff. Um, yeah, for, for next episode, we're going to tackle process, as David was alluding to. Nice kind of tee up here. Um, and uh, maybe you can quickly refresh as, as we do uh, our um, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, whatever. I'm struggling uh, right now. Uh, goodbye on this one. Um, exit. Uh, on what we talked about with them, like that workshop, uh, you know, it's it quite a scene seeing everybody going through the process. You already talked, you know, gave us somewhat of a recap, but specifically around process, what we put them through, and then ultimately, you know, kind of, I guess, what our objective is going to be in, in tackling that next episode. Well, certainly, I think we can get a little bit deeper into the process that we've, you know, seen successful with marketing for, um, like, how we come up with those budgets. But I think also, in particular, we want to get in-depth with, like, how do we pick, uh, what do we mean by seasonality? What do we mean by, like, search demand? What do we mean by, like, competition in the marketplace? What impact does the ILS have on on your other campaigns? Like, things of that nature. So um, certainly, I think through this, as you were saying, like, four or six or however many episodes this takes us to get through, I think it's more of the deep dive into each of those categories. Um, yeah. But I don't know if you were looking for something else there. No, no, that's good. Uh, and I wonder how many steps it is. Is it a 12-step process? Is it a five-step process? Like, that will be interesting, too. Um, and we're answering a lot of this, I guess, uh, for ourselves and for the industry. But hopefully we'll be able to bring in some people, talk to some folks uh, in the real world, um, and, and hear exactly how they approach it a little bit more thorough than what we got, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. All right. All right. This bump. Grenade? Yeah. All right. <laughs> We're out. Yeah.